0: This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and go! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's twins.
1: It's a beautiful day for
0: a ball game. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the twins in MLB.
1: I didn't know they still had a team.
0: That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. All right, hey everybody, welcome to the Touch em All podcast, episode two this week. I don't know, I'm losing track of the overall episode, but we're almost two years in to the Touch em All podcast, and Derek Wetmore will be attending, unless there's a lockout, his first ever winter meeting session in Washington, D.C., the Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball winter meetings. And if there's
1: a lockout, I think we, just stu- we had a little programming meeting here before we started this podcast, Basically, we're just going to make up a bunch of trade rumors, send them out there, analyze why the Twins made it the right or wrong decision, and basically get a week's worth of content that way.
0: Well, see, I was I was all excited to give you a primer for the winter meetings. I covered three winter yeah. meetings when I covered the Twins beat a few years ago. And this will be the first time you go out there for the five-day or four-day stretch. And uh, tip number one was going to be do what Ken Rosenthal does. And hide by the elevator corridors behind bushes, waiting for the <laughs> agent or executive that you're looking for, so you can sneak a one on one with him yep. without 85 other reporters finding out. Yep. There's always when Scott Boris walks through the lobby, he's swarmed by 50 reporters every single time because he always has the most clients, mm-hmm. right? So, um, but if there's if there's a lockout, I'm assuming that means that there's going to be no players and no agents, and so. Um, maybe maybe I'll just, maybe interview. You'll just be drinking in the lobby with like <laughs> MLB dot com guys. I'm not sure. What maybe I'll mean. interview Rosenthal <laughs> or that. You can do that, too. So here's my question as we approach the Major League Baseball winter meetings. It's kind of a statement and then a question for the first time in maybe a decade. I have very little interest in. In the moves the Twins will or won't make, and it's not because I'm apathetic. I mean, I'm genuinely interested in this new regime, this front office regime, and what this team might do. But I am, I think, I think mostly because Miguel Sano and Byron Buxton and Jose Barrios are these big question marks right now. Are they going to become superstar players? Are they going to be the three players that lead you for the next six to ten years, your organization? Until we know the answer on those players. I just don't, like it doesn't matter to me then if they if they sign a number three starter or an eighth inning setup guy or even a closer. If those three players don't pan out and we're not going to know until maybe even beyond 2017, I just can't get excited one way or the other about the next Irvin Santana or even uh, Jason Castro, their new potentially starting catcher they just signed on a three-year contract. So that's my statement. My question is, What do you expect them to do? What do you think they should do? How should they attack the winter meetings?
1: Expect is hard to know, right? Just because we know a little bit about Falvey from his time with the Indians, but we don't know what he's going to be like at the top of a front office. We know a a fair amount about Thad Levine and his dealings with John Daniels and the Texas Rangers, but we don't know what he's going to be like as the GM of the Twins. We have to figure out here, and it's it's a challenge, and that makes it fun and interesting, what these guys think of their own players. right? We kind of knew what Terry Ryan thought about player X, Y, and Z. But we also had an idea of what we thought Terry would think about free agents or other trade candidates, things like that. We don't have really any of that. We basically just get to make our own assessment and
0: find out later if they agree or disagree with us. Well, we know that they value pitch framing at at least twenty what twenty four and a half million dollars. Yeah, I mean, they're... which by the way, congrats to us for recording a Twins catcher preview yes. episode last week, <laughs> and then literally 45 minutes later, the Twins announcing, or at least the news breaking on Jason <sighs> Castro. So. Yeah, that was
1: fun. Good times. <laughs> hey, the Twins need to do something about their catcher. Well, It just shows they're listening, right? That's true. They, oh, they, those
0: guys are right. Yeah, they
1: downloaded the podcast, and were like,
0: oh, that's what we were going to do today. <laughs> we are going to get a, a pitch framing <laughs> that's catcher. right.
1: Well, paying him about to be basically a one-win player for three seasons. I got no qualms with it. I think they could have gone bigger. Fine, you could argue that, but uh hard to argue with the dollars for the Jason casher deal I, I will say when you ask what I expect them to do let's let's reframe it and say like what would your priority be? What would be the first thing you set foot in d c and for a month you've been making back channel phone calls and figuring out, hey, okay guy, I've worked with you in the past, you know me i'm I'm uh thad Levine if this is the first time we're meeting, I apologize. For the most part, <laughs> you know both of these guys know everybody in the industry, right? Or they know the people they've dealt with, at least in their previous roles. So now it's not about figuring out what those other people figure out or, or think about their own players. Stay with me here. It's what other teams think about the Twins players, which these guys have now inherited. So you've got to figure out how much does Team
0: Y value a guy like Kyle Gibson. So the the first thing I'm doing, and this is, this isn't a a, a, a surefire. I I don't think you're for sure going to trade him. But the 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 first thing I'm doing is I'm exploring all possible angles for a Brian Dozier trade, because this is the most valuable he's ever going to be, unless he somehow steps up his game again another level, and and becomes an MVP candidate in 2017. He's coming off a 40-plus home run season at a position that doesn't produce historically in the history of baseball many 40 home run players at second base. He has two very team-friendly years left on his contract. He's in his prime. He's a very good defensive player, and you're not going to get a bidding war for a position player at the trade deadline that you would in the offseason. What are teams looking for before the July 31st trade deadline? Mostly closers and or lights out starting pitching. Everything else, now there was, I know Mark Teixeira got traded like eight years ago at the deadline because there was some, there were some teams looking for power at the time. But you're, if, if you're going to get max value for Brian Dozier, it will be in the next two months, and those conversations really take off at the winter meetings unless there's a lockout of some kind. So um, I did see a couple, I know that uh, ESPN.com had an insider report looking at the various... Passed to a Chris Sale trade, for instance. Is that the um, Jim Bowden and Andrew piece? Yeah, Bowden had, had that. And then there was another, uh, something looking at an Andrew McCutcheon to the Dodgers trade yep. that involved Jose De Leon going to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yep. If you can get a deal centered around a Jose DeLeon, a filthy 21-year-old flame-throwing starting pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers, plus a couple other pieces, you should absolutely explore it next week in Washington, D.C., if you're the Twins. And Brian Dozier might go on to have five more fantastic seasons, and he might win a ring in Los Angeles or wherever. But you're not ready to do that for the duration of his contract. So I think you have to make a decision on Brian Dozier, starting in Washington, D.C., when you get serious offers potentially. Do you want him around for another contract beyond the two years he has left, or do you want to max out his value right now? I'm leaning toward maxing out his value if I'm in that front office.
1: I was asked the question on today's um, Facebook Live video, and I'll do a quick plug here. Hey, touch them all, listeners! <laughs> uh, if you don't already like fifteen hundred ESPN on Facebook, every week I do a Twins Q and A, and also I'm starting a, a page there. Uh, Derek Wetmore MLB is where you can find me. Twins talk. A bunch of people just kind of come, hang out, comment on articles, tell me why I'm stupid, and that it's a it's a lot of fun. Um, no different than you walking through
0: the hallways that's correct, It's it feels like I'm at home
1: yeah, it's much like my Thanksgiving dinner with my family actually Um, no, but if you you like those two pages we do have plenty of Twins talk on there Um, and someone asked me the question do you basically trade Brian Dozier no matter what, I think think that's the way it was framed it was, no matter what the highest offer is, are you just taking the highest offer before you leave uh,
0: Washington D.C. and I said no, for sure not but no that, way! But, but the highest offer is going to be a good offer. Sure. If if multiple teams are offering something for Brian Dozier, they're not going to be joke offers. He's a legit player in his prime. Mm-hmm. So let's say let's just let's let's hone in on the best offer. Let's yeah. say the best offer is a really good twenty-one-year-old pitcher who hasn't established himself, like another Jose Barrios, Jose DeLeon, or whoever it is. Okay. What does that get you to do as you're leaving Washington DC? If,
1: you, if they offer DeLeon, this is a conversation. But to me, and and I, I love Jim Bowden's columns. They're they're so much fun to read through. He slings a lot. He's of, making yeah. <laughs> it up. For sure. Former, you know, former GM guy with some connections. Totally, some things are probably reported, and some things are probably just thrown out there to see if something sticks suggesting the McCutcheon for DeLeon is interesting. It at least sets a price point, right? You start thinking about what his value would be in a return. Okay, so at least it gets the conversation started, whether it's real or not. Uh, That makes me flinch. You give me a good, young starting pitcher that I can have for six seasons and I think is going to be at the top of my rotation. All right. Brian, thank you very much for your services. You will always be a twin after you retire, we'll offer you a job in the front office, and you'll have some sort of consultants, uh, some sort of consultants gig when baseball's uh, in your rearview mirror. But see you later, right? You, you'd, you'd pull a trigger on that trade. Um, but to I just want to circle back on the way that that question is framed, and my answer is a definitive no on. No matter what the highest offer is, are you just taking the highest offer? Look, I'd entertain trade possibilities for Brian Dozier. I think now is a smart time to sell him. He's coming off, what, is it a six-win season after struggling terribly for the first two months? I still say if he was that hitter for six months, he's an MVP candidate even on a terrible Twins team. Now, he wouldn't win because the voters look at wins and postseason and stuff like that, but he'd be in the conversation of most valuable players in the American League, and he's only owed two years $15 million. I I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to start the 2017 season with him. However, I think what you did last year with Aaron Hicks... Would make some sense on a much bigger scale to do this year with Brian Dozier.
0: Sell a guy where you think he's at his peak value and try to get something valuable in return. Actually, you know what the parallel is? And I never even, this never occurred to me, but it's the obvious parallel. In 1997, the Twins went into the offseason with a 28 year old stud second baseman making a decent amount of money. Okay. Chuck Knobloch. Yeah, nobody threw dome dogs at Brian Dozier, but. Not yet, that's the. Only, that's yeah. right. That's the other. I don't think Dozier's going to be creeping around on Twitter oh. uh, just sending weird DMs <laughs> to, you know, whatever. But That's another story for another podcast. Um, but remember the Twins, In it was actually, they waited until February, right before spring training, that's to right. pull the trigger on that deal. It wasn't a winter meetings tray, but they sent him to the Yankees, and they got their starting shortstop for the next reign of division champions in uh, Christian Guzman. One of their better starting pitchers for the start of that stretch in Eric Milton. And Brian Buchanan was a decent right fielder for a couple of years, but he wasn't a starter. But they basically got their starting shortstop of the future and one of the pitchers that helped anchor them in 2001, 2, 3 until the arm injuries caught up to him in Eric Milton. So that's the type of trade you'd be making would be not for 2017. It would be pieces that you could really see gelling together for a, a long run of five, six, seven years, maybe starting in 2018 or something. It, it would be the Chuck Knobloch, Principle of trades. And every year, I think... If you
1: could get a Chuck Knobloch package, you're trading Brian Dozier tonight. But every year, I think, well, those blockbuster trades are a thing of the past. They're dead. You don't see the the A.J. Perzinski trade anymore. You just won't ever see that. And that's what I think every offseason. I think no way will a team give up a bevy of top prospects for an established veteran with a couple years left on his deal. They yeah. just they just don't have it. The Tashira deal... Uh, when he went, what was that, from uh the, the Rangers, right? Okay, that's a big deal. That's a huge blockbuster trade. You, uh, and in my head, cynically, I say, those don't happen. You don't see those. They're dead. And then, you know, the Braves deal for Shelby Miller happens. And you're like, what? There are still teams that are doing this. Okay, all right, so that makes things interesting again. And I understand why, if you're a Twins fan, you're seeing those kinds of moves and thinking, well, of course they have to trade Brian Dozier. If you can give up two years of a power-hitting second baseman that you weren't going to sign a contract extension anyways for three top prospects that might be one-day starters for you, like, yeah, you're going to do that. I think you're probably looking at a much lower return than what a lot of people on on my Facebook page, on our Facebook page on 1500 ESPN, um, on Twitter. A lot of things that people are throwing out as trade possibilities or matches, potential matches for Brian Dozier— man, they just seem like they're overvaluing their own guy and hoping that the other team undervalues its own prospects. You just, not to pour cold water all over the flames here, but you you don't see
0: that trade very often anymore in baseball. I mean, how often have you ever had a conversation in a fantasy league or just with friends talking about your favorite team where someone offers on the first shot a really logical great trade for both sides no it always starts with let's see if they take matt tolbert and matthew lecroy i had these guys sit on my bench player right um so all right so brian dozer aside if they because again I, i go back to the free agency angle and i just don't i'd have to go through the lists i guess but they needed a catcher so go ahead you got jason castor that's good third-tier option. Most years over the past five years or so, I would have been very hard on this team if they didn't sign a starting pitcher of some caliber, like an Irvin Santana, which they did, or if they didn't go out. Like last year, we hammered them for not going out and signing uh, an Antonio Bastardo or somebody to help bolster your bullpen bridge. You want to be a contender? You can't roll in with the three guys you're rolling in with and expect that to compete with some of the best teams in baseball. So from from a free agency standpoint... Are you gonna are you gonna be disappointed in this team if they don't make free agent moves? We talked about Dozier and the trades, or is it just kind of like figure out what you have internally, figure out what your new processes are and then worry about free agency going forward? Like would you would you would you spend decent money on a seventh or eighth inning guy right now? Or are there twelve pitchers you want to see that are currently in the organization that uh that you don't want to block? I mean that's I almost just don't care about signing pitchers at this point. Not that it's not important, but they've got so many steps to go before you can season with free agents for a potential playoff team.
1: Sure, it's like they're going to Muscle Beach for a uh, you know bodybuilding competition, and. Signing a seventh inning guy or whatever might be like oiling yourself up pre-show, oh, yeah. but you haven't even started lifting yet. Like it's not lifting season. Yeah, you're you... like Screech
0: Powers from, <laughs> from Save by the Bell right now. You're, you're just... Steve Urkel, and you're oiling yourself up. <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, you need the muscles first, right. and then you apply the oil. I'll get on the bench. Do you
1: even lift, bro? Um, <laughs> but so, so I'm not sure I fully go with you, but I hear what you're saying, and we sort of talked about that. Uh, was it two or three podcasts ago now, too. I want to dig in on one guy specifically, though, because to me, he's the second most interesting asset. And depending on what teams are thinking about Brian Dozier, maybe he's the most interesting asset. Hey, touch em all listeners. Derek Wetmore here. We love you guys and we keep hearing from you how much you love us. If that's true, we want you to prove it in three ways, Phil. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1500 ESPN. Number two, we want iTunes reviews. Four and five stars on the Touch them all podcast to let us know you're listening. And three, take a
0: selfie in your best sweater and tweet it at Derek Wetmore, the sweater king. <laughs> Irvin Santana is a good
1: pitcher who's got proven durability, and he's getting up there in age, but he's on a decent contract when you look at some of the money that some of these guys are going to be making this winter. Considering how thin of a free agent market it is, it should be a seller's market. That's why you're seeing Jim Bowden throw out Chris Sale trade things. Um, I almost said rumors, but...
0: It's hard. What what do you call it? Is it like is a rumor? Is it a report? I love how fact. I love how you replace rumors with trade things. Trade
1: thing. Trade stuff. Do the things.
0: Those trade things (laughs) you're slinging around. That's really irresponsible (laughs) journalism. I think trade items.
1: Hey, Chris Archer is another name on that list too. By the way, hey, good young cost-controlled pitcher, Sonny Gray. Great. Be a good time to trade these guys because teams that need to fix the top end of their rotation can't just go out and spend money to do it they need to give up resources from within their organization in a trade or hope that their own guys develop into that a lot of teams are going to go the trade route if those are the options so irvin santana while he's not chris sale and he's not chris archer i'd probably rather have Sonny gray too depending on how all that injury things sorted out if he's okay um Irvin Santana is a fairly interesting next-tier starting pitcher that some team might like to
0: have as their number three. See, Irvin's the type of guy, this is where I love the the difference in value at different times of year. Irvin Santana has a lot more value, I think, at the trade deadline if he has a big first half than a Brian Dozier. You know, Brian Dozier can have an outstanding first half of the year. And if there's... Only two teams in the market for a big bat, and, and neither of them are willing to overpay, or neither of them are desperate. Teams are generally more desperate for starting pitching on July 30th, 31st, than they are for you know, for big bats and second baseman. So I'm kind of with you in that Irving can be a critical piece to the puzzle. It would take a lot in a trade offer this offseason to get me to not wait until July 31st on Big Irv.
1: Yeah, I think that, you're right on the the timing. You do run the risk of, let's say, Santana blows up in the first half, has a six ERA at the trade deadline, or gets hurt. Well, oof. all right, you just shot yourself in the foot twice. That stinks. But I don't know that I'd be in the business of if I'm trying to let's say let's say the goal, and I don't know. I I, I actually haven't done digging on this yet because it's more of a spring training conversation. Once. You know, once the roster kind of gets settled and you know what you're going into, hey, what are reasonable expectations? Like, what are you guys expecting out of yourselves this year? And that's when people started talking about postseason last year, and I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And then two weeks into the season, you probably stopped talking about postseason. Yeah, that's probably safe. This year, I'm curious to know what that answer is. My guess is Falvey's not going to give you an answer. My guess is Thad Levine's not going to give
0: you an answer. Well, there's no... but. The the range is so wide, yes. right? It could. That's it, what I certain, mean. Could this team? Could three young players break out, and this team could be a five hundred team or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. Could Byron Buxton be a five win player this year and totally change the dynamic of the Twins? With with Jason Castro's TC Bear glove behind the plate, <laughs> framing pitches, <laughs> like could the starting staff shave a runoff at C.R.A.? Could TC
1: sure. Bear be their actual
0: opening day DH <laughs> and just start? Hitting dingers. Okay, quick aside here. You saw Eric Thames? Is it Thames or, Th- or Thims? I've Thims. always heard like Thames.
1: Thames. Thames. Eric Thames. Thames. But Thames. I don't. I don't know. Did you see? So just he, making it up. He
0: goes to Korea for three years and hits over the course of three years, hits like three fifty with an average of forty plus home runs. Yeah. This comes back, signs a contract today as we record this on a Tuesday with the Milwaukee Brewers, and, and they liked him enough scouting him in Korea. To get rid of Chris Carter, who hit forty some home runs for them last year, they just flat out non-tendered him. If TC Bear went to the KBO and batted <laughs> in one hundred fifty games, would TC Bear hit fifty home runs? Ah, boy! Bu- Could TC Bear destroy KBO pitching like mediocre American hitters who wander over there to save their careers? I
1: don't know the answer to that, but I will say uh, to anyone who is a as a you know derelict or whatever likes to just bet on anything. Don't bet against the bear. You show up to target field early and there's a home run hitting contest. Doesn't matter who's out there. Do not bet against the bear. Um, I think that the, the point that I was trying to make on Irvin Santana is like, yeah, you're running a risk. But, like, let's say with that win total thing that I was talking about, let's just say, like, you put a goal that some people might think is ambitious and some people might think is about right. 500 you are shooting for 81 wins this year. And how do I get to 81 wins this season with a roster that's basically not that much different right now as it stands from last season's? We upgraded the catcher maybe a little bit, and, like, you're expecting some guys to get back healthy. Glenn Perkins, Phil Hughes, that should help. Young Ho Parks maybe in that mix. But, like, the roster's not that different. Can you really improve by more than 20 games kind of a thing, right? So that's the question. If that's the goal, if your intention is to start trending toward contention so that you can really take off in 2018 when you expect to be much more competitive and maybe even have a shot at the Central Division title or at least a wildcard spot and be a postseason team, I wouldn't be in the business of taking a 5.0, what was it, 5.08 ERA, 5.09 ERA, and getting rid of the most dependable best starter before the season starts. If it turns out they're not competitive, or even if they're just sort of like a middling club, but keep in mind, 500 teams are buyers now at the trade deadline. If it turns out that the Twins are even in the conversation, well, then you're probably happy you kept Irvin Santana. And if they're not in the conversation, they've just fallen off, the wheels fell off, Uh, they traded Dozier and Sano got hurt, and Buxton reverts back to what he was pre-September. All right, that's an uphill battle. That team's going to struggle to win 80 games. Fine. Now you can trade Irving Santana, and there's going to be at least three teams that need a third starter for their postseason run, a guy that's going to start for them in October, and they're willing to give up some prospects for that. I, I don't think that changes in the winter meetings versus in
0: July. One last thing on Irvin Santana, I think people have to keep this in mind. We look at pitchers through severe pitcher beer goggles here in this town. So what looks like an incredible ace season to us, because we've watched the post-Johan years here in Minnesota— is really just a number three, number four starter for a really good team that would be looking to trade. So you're never, even if he gets really hot in the first half, he has a 10-plus year track record in the big leagues. He is who he is. He's a really good, solid pitcher. You're not going to get a top prospect for him. There's one player on your roster, at least, I'm not counting the guys who are like the Miguel Sano's, there's one established player on your roster that can land you a top impact young player, and it's Brian Dozier in a trade. Um on the field, you brought up Phil Hughes, maybe getting if Phil Hughes can come back, stay healthy. I have one thought on him. Okay. That really has nothing to do with the winter meetings. It's just kind of a hot take <laughs> to end the show. Okay. Phil Hughes, and I get there's been some injuries, he's now gonna be thirty one years old. He's been in the big leagues for the better part of ten years. He has a four forty ERA in exactly one what you would consider above average season as a starting pitcher. And that was in 2014, when he broke the Major League record for strikeout-to-walk ratio. A completely unrepeatable task or uh, action, I guess. You can't project that going forward, that he's going to do that every single year. Yeah. So, yeah, he might be healthier coming off an injury. He also has a very mediocre track record. I, I just... I need to see on Phil Hughes. I think there's just as much of a chance that he could still have aches and pains, Mm -hmm. or uh, he looks like he's in great shape based on some photos this offseason, but I need to see it with Phil Hughes. I need to see it. Maybe that injury's been hindering him for a couple years or for multiple years, and he's just been grinding through it, and it finally came to a culmination. But the home run's allowed. Um, You're going to walk more batters than you did a couple years ago. He's kind of a number 4, number 5 starter on good teams even if he comes back healthy. I
1: think, yeah, I think he's a mid-rotation starter. That's fine. I mean, that's that's where he's at. He'd have to prove that he's anything more than that. But on the Twins, that makes him the number two, right? I mean, that's that's where they're at right now. I was looking at his innings totals on FanGraphs. graphs. Uh, here's his trend, and uh, it's obviously a bad sign for the Twins. Uh, 2014, his first season, 209 innings. 2015, his second season, 155 innings. Yeah. 2016, his third season, 59 innings. So if that trend continues, Phil Hughes will pitch negative 50 innings for the Twins this season, and
0: that's a problem. Boy, that is, you're not going to get that anywhere else but the <laughs> Touch 'Em All podcast. <laughs>